This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Blockchain. It's been all the rage of late, and if you believe the hype, it's going to revolutionize everything we know about computing and make lots of people rich. But what is it exactly, and how does it have anything to do with you at home? This week, we're going to go through the basics and find out how this technology will impact society and maybe your health. And in our SaaS class, we're going to learn how blockchain may help save the world using not money, but impact. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to take you on a tour of the new and improved information superhighway. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. If you look at the word blockchain, you pretty much know what it is. You have blocks of information that are linked to one another via a chain. The information in those blocks are known as transactions, in which something has been shared between two or more people or institutions. These transactions are verified by a third party and then distributed across a wide network. As for the chain, it doesn't refer to links between computers. Instead, we're talking about time. Each transaction is linked to the previous and the next, such that it cannot be altered. And there you have it. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Actually, it's a heck of a lot more complicated. So we're going to start with a primer on blockchain so we can all get a feel of what it is and why it has become such the rage. Joining me is Olivia Lovenmark, who is a blockchain consultant and regularly writes on the topic in the media. She's the best person to give us an introduction into this new and awesome world. Now, Olivia, we hear a lot about blockchain, but few of us actually know what it really is. Can you explain the basics for us? So blockchain, uh, you can think of it as a new way to store and manage data. And think of it in, the, in exactly as it says. Uh, it's a chain of blocks of data. And so that means you have a chronological series of blocks. They're timestamped. And that gives blockchain power because that information can't be changed once it's put into a chronological order. So when we talk about blockchain being the next best thing, it really comes down to the fact that it's everywhere and always has the same information so it can not be manipulated. I mean, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you could have, uh, depending on the, on the network and the community you have supporting your blockchain, whether it's a private or a public chain, you could have 100 people, you could have thousands of people supporting that information on that database. Um, so exactly. So if, if one person goes down or a few people go leave the network or are no longer, or maybe that something happens to them, there's a bad actor that takes one node or one person of that network down, it doesn't affect the whole thing. The security is still intact. And, and that's really what uh, has gotten people really excited about the technology. So we have this blockchain. It's, it's this distributed database and it's chronological, time stamped and, and everywhere. Fantastic. But we always hear about the money. The cryptocurrency. What is that and where does it play a role in this whole blockchain community? Cryptocurrency is, uh, well, it's got a few different names that are referred, um, referred to crypto. So you can think of it as digital cash, digital money. Some people call it programmable money. Um, and uh, there's a couple of ways you can attack that question. Um, on one hand, from, I won't go too deep, but from a technical perspective, um, cryptocurrency is really the incentive that gives a network strength. 
Um, and so it's not just this this asset, this new asset class that everyone's excited about that's so volatile and you never know if it's going to be up or down. Um, <laughs> it's also the thing that gives a network of security and its strength. Um, when you look at Bitcoin, um, the reason uh, you can have a decentralized or distributed network is that you've got people who are willing to support the network. And the people who are willing to support it are also called the miners. So when we're talking about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, we are giving people money to show our thanks for supporting the database. It's, it's basically a reward. Exactly. It's, it's a reward. And actually, technically, it's called a block reward because it's what they get for adding transactions to the blockchain. As soon as they add a block of data, they're rewarded with Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain. So, and this is really, really important because if you don't have an incentive, you're not going to have people involved in keeping it secure and keeping it running. Um, and so I think that's something that, that doesn't always get hit on when people you know, get excited about crypto. Um, but, but from the other side of it, and, and probably what most people hear about uh, most frequently, is, uh, is this digital cash, digital currencies um, that are very speculative and certainly are very volatile and trade on blockchain-based exchanges and are just a crazy way that a lot of people have made or lost a lot of money. So away from the people who are trading Bitcoin, and, and I honestly have no idea what's going on there, what I gather blockchain really is doing with cryptocurrencies is just giving people something to be part of the network. Uh, you know, and it makes sense to me. Um, when you have a speaker who isn't getting much of an audience, you, you can always advertise that you're going to be supplying donuts and, and you can be sure more people are going to come. So is that really what Bitcoin happens to be? I mean, is it really the donut to bring people into the auditorium? <laughs> I've never heard that analogy and I think it's wonderful, but I mean, in, to, in a way, um, yes, it's, it's the incentive that it, it brings people to the network. Um, absolutely. Um, but they also have to work for it. It's, uh, it's not, it's not an easy feat. Yeah. Okay. Mining being the process of, of, uh, putting transactions onto the blockchain and then making them secure. Um, that's, that's quite a deep, uh, technical element there in itself. And it requires a lot of energy and electricity, which is another thing you, you may have heard of. Yes. Bitcoin and crypto does does require a lot of energy. Um, it's kind of a controversial topic, um, but they have people have to pay for that. So it's proof of work. They have to pay for that energy that goes into the mining process of creating the, the data that goes onto the blockchain. Um, and so, as a reward, they get to keep some of it. Now, I'm not going to be giving away any bitcoins or maybe SAS coins, but I do want to give away something that will help the listener as they learn more about this world. So. I have five terminologies in front of me, and I want you to tell me what they are. You all ready for this? I'm into it. Great. The first one is hash. Not hashtag, just hash. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so hash, um, and, uh, and I'm going to use it as hashing, is what you do when you take the data that needs to go onto the blockchain, and you want to put it into a smaller size. You want to make that data smaller and you want to make it super, super secure. So you hash it, and that just means that you're taking all of this data, lots and lots of transactions, and you're putting it into one sort of short, concise string of very sort of secure characters, and that's what gets put onto the blockchain, the hash of the data. Okay, the next one, fork. What's a fork? So there are two types of forks. There's a hard fork and there's a soft fork. Hard fork is what happens when there is some sort of controversy or a change not necessarily controversy, but sometimes, or a change in how people want the network to operate. So if you have a blockchain happening one way and you decide that things need to change 
um, you need to you need to change the blockchain. You need to literally fork it so that it's like thinking of a fork in the road, so that you you create a new direction and a new path that follows new rules for the blockchain to go. The reason you have to do this is that blockchains are hard coded. You can't change them. So unless I mean you could, but that's a whole other topic. Now you talked about mining, but what is that exactly? Mining is the process that secures and then creates new coins, brings new coins into the network. Ledger. Now, I'm assuming this is probably the same as an economic ledger and is just really the list of transactions. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a fair way to say it. I think it's more sort of commonly uh, thought of in, in blockchain or crypto industry as, as the shared database, the shared ledger. Oh, okay. Shared ledger. Finally. And, and this one I have to be careful about because I have no idea what it means. But I have a feeling that if you don't say it right, it could mean something completely different. So... <clears throat> What is, and I'm being very careful here, Yeah. sharding. I mean, am I saying this right? Yes. Sharding. <laughs> I see where you're going, but yeah, yeah. So think of it as like a shard, like a shard of glass. <laughs> so what that means is that um, when you have a big database, like the Bitcoin blockchain is huge, right? right? You have a big database, lots of transactions, lots of information. That is a lot of stuff to deal with if, if you have like a regular computer and you're trying to process all of this information. So what they'll do across a network is they'll shard data or shard a database so that various participants or, or people on the network each only have to run a certain or take care of a certain piece of the database. Um, so that not, yeah, so that you, it makes it easier and makes it more efficient. It increases performance. Well, thank you so much for helping us understand the basics. Obviously, this is a very complex environment, and it's going to take some time to get a handle. But at least we can now go around knowing what blockchain happens to be and how to say sharding properly. It's my pleasure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You've probably heard media reports on how some people are making tons of money from diving into this technology. But I'm sad to report there's not much out there for you and me. Uh, it's too late for us to become Bitcoin billionaires. But that doesn't mean blockchain won't be a part of our lives. There are a number of other ways to get involved and earn something in the process. Getting us to adopt blockchain without money is going to require something called incentivization, and you're going to hear more about this in the coming months and years. Now, without getting too much into the details, it's a means of getting rewards for taking part in a program. Now, this may sound familiar. After all, credit cards do this as well as many other services like hotels and grocery stores. But this is different because you won't have to spend any money. All you'll have to do is share your activities. I have one of the pioneers of incentivization to explain how this all works. His name is Dwayne Connors, and he's the co-owner of RPRT Management Consulting. They're working with business to find ways to get you involved in joining the blockchain community. Now, Dwayne, let's just start with the word incentivization. What is that? Um, the way that we look at it is, you know, every, everybody has wants and needs, and not everybody always puts their needs ahead of their wants. And what we try to do is 
use tactics to reinforce people to, to move in a direction that is more beneficial for their needs, whether that's an individual or an organization. And so we're talking about things like health, right? Absolutely. Like health, like financial success, um, like uh, you know, better worlds for our children, so to speak. Usually when I hear about incentives, I'm thinking I'm going to have to spend money to get something in return. Now, I've seen some of your work, and, and it seems like you believe incentives can come with, you know, no money down. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think there's an ability in the world today to create incentives that, that can drive a person's decision-making towards making the better decision or to push them more towards a goal that is beneficial to themselves, their community, and their families. Now, all of this sounds really amazing. Although, whenever I hear someone talk about something amazing, uh, then I know there are going to be risks. And, I mean, you know, are there any downsides to this idea of incentivization? Am I going to buy, say, a used car that looks fantastic in the lot but will break down two blocks later? I mean, is this something that will be safe and secure for me? Absolutely. And that's the number one thing people even ask us is, is, is usually around that first part, that safe and secure part. Compliancy is one of the top things on our list. And actually, in the way that we generally build out incentivization platforms, um, security is the very first tutorial that we run people through. And, and we guide them through the understanding the process, giving them an education on what you know data or transactions or how that is all visible and utilized and then allowing them to select what levels of security in a very clear and concise manner they want associated to their incentivization packages. So user-friendly as well as safe and secure. Absolutely. You know, if that's the case, I wonder why we don't see this in other realms. I mean, (laughs) we hear about the breaches that are occurring. You know, Facebook, Target, credit cards, they're all over the place. I mean, is it really peace of mind that's being offered to us by blockchain? I think blockchain absolutely offers that ability. And not only that, I think on a recoverability as well as a respective um, concept that you could actually track, log, and maintain who accessed what, when, and where on an individual basis instead of a global basis, like, say, Facebook or Target uses with all of your financial information, um, when you get to a personal level, you can, you can lock down those keys a lot in a much, much stronger methodology. Okay, last question. How long do you think it'll be before the general public can make their way into blockchain and get that incentivization that you really are promoting? This is, this is something we actually get asked a, a good amount is whenever it's a client of ours asks us to build a, a platform for them, it's how, how quickly can we get folks to adopt what we're doing, even if it's only an internal application. And the way that I always put it is everybody understands their user experience. Everybody understands their, their user interface. If it's something they're, they're comfortable using, if it's something that looks familiar, but it's also something that's clear and concise and letting them know up front and at all times, you know, the security settings and where data is, what it's doing, how it's incentivizing them, tracking their incentivization, all of those things, that's where you really gain adoption. And no one to this point um, that we know of has really built a blockchain application that has that, you know, that warm and fuzzy, that motherhood and apple pie feeling. Now, a lot of that is due to the cryptocurrency push that now everybody associates blockchain or distributed ledgers with, you know, not necessarily like a greed sort of 
captioning, but you know, somewhere in that realm. Yeah. We got to get past it, just like every other new technology. Well, if it means I'm not buying that used car, then you can definitely count me in. And that's exactly how we want it. We want you to buy the brand new shiny thing with all the bells and whistles that you know the wheels won't fall off and the brakes will work whenever you want to use them. As both Dwayne and Olivia mentioned, safety and security are the main reasons for blockchain's popularity. However, there is an added advantage. You can track activities in real time. Take your health, for example. Do you have a wearable device that tracks your steps, sleep, or heart rate? Maybe you have an app that allows you to record your eating habits. You might even have a social media clock that tells you how long you've been surfing online. Each of these items is in essence creating transactions from your daily life. Put it this way. Every breath you take, every move you make, they are watching you. And recording your information. Your name, your age, your weight, your location, any other data you may have entered. And if you happen to be connected to the internet, some of these programs may be sending the information right to the company. It's not necessarily safe or secure either. I mean, just take a look at all the data breaches that we hear about in the news. But if this information was shared using blockchain, you could control what others can, and more importantly, cannot access. Here's where it gets awesome. Right now, much of our health advice is based on what is known as qualitative data. For the most part, this means surveys, which are collected and put into a large database. From there, an average is calculated and recommendations for health are made. This doesn't sound like much of a problem until you hear about this. A recent study in The Lancet suggests the only beneficial amount of alcohol is none. That's right, nada, not a drop. You might think the study authors are some kind of prohibitionists, but the reality is that the recommendation came from an average. If you look closely at the data, there are definitely benefits to having some alcohol here and there, but that is canceled when careless drinking leading to health problems is taken into account. How about the study that concluded dairy could help prevent death? If you happen to be on Twitter, it became a highlight when a news organization proudly declared Dairy products, especially cheese and yogurt, were found to protect against death from any cause, according to new research. It was eventually shortened to, eat cheese, never die. Now, of course, that's completely ridiculous. But if you head to the study, which was presented at the European Society for Cardiology in August, you'll see that sure enough, there were recommendations for increased dairy to prevent death. Now, of course, they also talked about one study that suggested dairy could actually lower your lifespan, but that was cancelled out during the averaging process. Blockchain can take away that need to average by adding in real-time measurements in a quantitative manner. The researchers wouldn't see survey responses, instead, they would see data. And once they have that information, they can calculate real numbers and provide more constructive recommendations based on lifestyles including yours. And with that type of information, you could actually end up living better. This type of real-time technology is still in the future, but blockchain is already being used in health research. My next guest aims to develop open collaboration between scientists to achieve common goals such as better and faster disease diagnosis, improve therapies to treat these diseases, and even tackle the antibiotic resistance crisis. Joining me is Brian Majerski. He's the president at NanoVision, which intends to use blockchain to disrupt healthcare. He joins me from Austin, Texas. The idea of blockchain in healthcare sounds odd because all we hear about is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But 
we can also make change in, say, health research without the use of this kind of money. Is that really your intent? That's absolutely correct. Um, the, the money aspect or the currency aspect of blockchains and, and cryptocurrencies themselves are, is one aspect of this new computing platform. When you look at um, a blockchain itself and even the crypto market uh, and, and cryptocurrencies are one application of, of a blockchain, uh, this is a fundamentally new computing paradigm, and many uh, many observers and evangelists in the space uh, are really calling this the the second or third coming of the internet. <laughs> There's a moniker of Web three that that's being applied to this as well. Oh wow, Web 3.0. So it's massive. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. It's massive. It's really mind blowing when you look at what's happening. Now, the fact that you say massive to me is somewhat ironic because your name is well, Nanovision. And, and when I see the name, I, I think of nano as microscopic, infinitesimal. And yet, in a way, I can see how that might be able to improve health. Because if you focus on the small, you may be able to expand it to a wider world, making it accessible to them. Is, is that really where you're going? Absolutely. This is, um, this is what we call, like to call inner space as opposed to outer space. And so we are going after the micro. And, it, and the reason it's massive is when you go down to this microscopic level, uh, the amount of data uh, that you need to look at and, and the understanding of that data is a massive challenge and problem. And so uh, that in and of itself is a whole area of innovation. As we go into nano vision, uh, we, have, uh, we have ambitions to cover many different areas of health and wellness. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to look at your lifestyle and, and the, the factors that go into that, uh, including your diet and your fitness and activity levels and sleep. And you also need to look at what's, what you're impacted on in your environment and your surroundings. So what is it in the food that you eat? Uh, what's in the air that you breathe? What, what's in the, uh, and on the surfaces that you come in contact with? And so our first push into the market is with a series of uh, bots and bot devices and sensors uh, that will be in, uh, in the places where we exist as, as humans. And we spend a lot of our time indoors yep. and we spend a lot of our time at school and at work where we're, we're in the same place for extended periods of time. And those environments can have a, a significant impact on our life. And, and there's, there's research and data coming out to show that, um, that environment that you're surrounded by and exposed to, um, now actually can be uh, a key contributor and factor to chronic health conditions. Sensors will, will monitor the environment in real time around us and start telling us um, what, what is around us and being a lot more proactive about uh, addressing these, um, uh, these, these short and long-term threats to our health. Now, when we think of it from that perspective, a data-based vision, you really are thinking of research. So how do you plan to bridge the gap between the corporate world you're in and the academic world of health research? I mean, when we do this, we can be accused of being shills or following a secret agenda. I mean, how do you get away with using blockchain to solve problems and still allow researchers to work with corporations without that backlash? Absolutely, and it's a, it's a key contributor. So when, when we think about blockchain, um, you know, the leading researchers in this space will, uh, some have called it the, uh, the trust protocol and some have called it the trust machine. And, and what, it, what it does is it enables a decentralized computing platform where 
Uh, trust is managed by a community owned, managed and contributed to network. And so these things effectively become network models. And so done in the right way, you can use a blockchain um, to be able to incentivize the aggregation and sharing of data into a decentralized network. And so research data can pull in and you're not giving that data to a centralized authority like a company that can choose to do what it wants to it with it, but you're putting it into a, a network. So what you're saying is that everyone is a collaborator because blockchain distributes the data to everybody so that they become equals. And then that way, there's no way we can see implicit or explicit bias for any idea or corporate objective, to be honest. Yeah, and it gets even better than that. The data contributions then become attributed. So now, now there's, there's never any doubt uh, who, who, that, who that data came from, who owns that data and who should have attribution for benefits that come from that, that use of that data. I mean, that's just fascinating. I could see this improve the way we do clinical trials. I mean, heck, I could even see this improving the way people buy their groceries to stay healthy. It just looks like there's so much that can be revealed. So do you see a role in what you are doing for the public so that they can become part of this whole health research conglomerate? Absolutely. So when you think about putting, putting this data in, th this data goes into this network now for, for um, so it's coming from research institutions, but there's no reason why it doesn't come from individuals. And so we like to call this the, the cure me in part of this. Uh, so me as, a, me as an individual, I can say, you know what, cure me in, I, I'm in, uh, just like count me in. And, and I, I want to start contributing my data. And what is that data? Well, that, that, can, that can start spanning, and, and obviously this goes in phases and, you know, takes, uh, uh, has to look through geographies and regulatory and, and whatnot, but something as simple as my wearable data coming from my watches and Fitbits, uh, my, my scale data coming uh, from my smart scales, uh, telling uh, BMIs and fat percentages, um, even some survey data that I can say about my allergies and how I feel on, on a given day. Uh, diet plans, et cetera, all the way down to potentially medical records. I'm willing to put that into the into this um, into this health network, and and the benefit that I get out of that is usage of that data may may give me some some credits or capabilities to uh, participate in clinical trials, virtual clinical trials. My data participated in a clinical trial, wow. and that may lead to access to cures uh, to conditions that I have or may develop over time and maybe even on a discounted basis or discounted access to certain types of, of care um, based, on, based on who I am and what I've shared. That, that, and so there's a whole host of possibilities that can come from this. And all the while, the research data is coming in, the individual data is coming in, it's informing, it's informing the system. And as nano, we're able to, uh, we're able to build on it with, uh, with machine learning and artificial intelligence and build models that will start feeding into our bots and making them smarter and better at detecting uh, molecular life that's mm -hmm. going on in the world around us. Or you know, being able to provide these services like virtual clinical trials that can lead to an acceleration to cure development. So we see ourselves building a whole panoply of services on top of this that will drive off of this, uh, this data network. But at the fundamental base of it, we see we see blockchain having an important role in enabling this all to, to come together for the collective good. Any way that we can improve health and do so in a universal way is definitely going to be good. So, cure me in. 
It's SaaS class time, and today's lesson is going to show you how blockchain can be used to improve the world. My guest teacher today is Anne Connolly. You may have heard of her as she has been honored as one of CBC's 12 Young Leaders Changing Canada. She's now a faculty member at Singularity University and is working to help transform the world through humanitarianism and what she calls impact. I know, it sounds awesome. She joins me from Toronto. Before we get into impact, I just want to know, how did you start in blockchain? So it started for me, I had been working with uh, humanitarian groups in Central African Republic. And the way that we pay our staff in a lot of these projects is in cash because they don't have access to banks in the middle of you know rural villages. And in order to be able to pay these people, we actually have to carry knapsacks full of money through military checkpoints and war zones and insecure locations. And so I started reading about Bitcoin um, in about 2012 on Twitter, just kept seeing the word come up and thought, hey, this looks interesting. And the moment I read more about it, I realized this is just an absolute perfect uh, solution for the cash issue in humanitarian settings. And then that was just the beginning. From there, you realize how applicable it is to not only the humanitarian industry, but also to the people living in developing countries and how it's fundamentally going to change the way their society is organized. And and that's where you come up with uh, the word impact, right? That's exactly it. Okay, so if we're using a technology like blockchain for the greater good, I I could see how it could be used to say, you know, pay salaries. But are there other ways it can be useful? I mean, corporations and government are starting to get involved Is there a role for them in impact? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a number of ways. When you look at it, you can look at the inherent properties of a blockchain and how that impacts society and structures. So looking at things like transparency, um, freedom of choice around financial systems. Like when you look at the Declaration of Human Rights and investigate all of the rights that they declare for every human on the planet, blockchain is going to enable massive change in that sector. So looking at things like just the freedom of choice of financial systems. You look at the country of Venezuela right now that's struggling massively with 40% inflation rates. Um, and then it's going to help you know, refugees if they can have access to their own blockchain-based identity and help them get processed uh, when they're seeking asylum in new countries. So that side of things where you look at, at some of the broader issues um, and then it can actually dig a little bit deeper to the actions of ordinary individuals on a, on a day-to-day basis, which is where it gets really exciting. So blockchain really can create impact, not just in lower and middle-income countries, but possibly here as well in Canada? I mean, it sounds like this isn't really limited to development. Uh, this sounds like it could potentially be all-encompassing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite applications that uses blockchain is actually um, a community that's run out of Toronto called Buns. And all it is is a, a trade and barter group where neighbors can get together and swap something you've got in your house that you don't use for something that someone else uses. And they've moved to a cryptocurrency system where if you don't match on a trade, you can trade for their crypto and then use their crypto either to get something the next time or to use it at a local community-oriented business. So there's, you know, more than 10% of the city of Toronto is using Buns right now. And what's great about it is it keeps garbage out of the landfill. It helps people change their consumption patterns and is fundamentally much better for the environment. Oh, wow. So we're not just talking about droughts in Africa. We're actually talking about landfills in Toronto. It's transformative for really everyone on the planet. (laughs) My mind is completely blown. I mean, this is the definition of super awesome. 
It seems like blockchain is really moving at an incredible pace, but it still doesn't look like it's ready for prime time for most of us. So as we move towards a blockchain society, do you see impact as being the standard for action, whether it be on the streets of Toronto or for humanitarian efforts in Africa and other low and middle income countries? I mean, can you see blockchain and impact taking over from what we see today, such as, say, donations to organizations like GoFundMe campaigns? I mean, where are we going with impact and blockchain? I see blockchain as fundamentally the basis of the vast majority of the things that we, we do and use today. You know, so if you think about how the Internet changed your life in terms of what you can do, blockchain is going to have a much more significant impact um, and I think when I, you look at how it's going to change, say, the way that we help others, which has historically been through either government programs or charity programs, a lot of the way that blockchain is going to have an impact is reducing the need for those programs to even exist because the inherent properties around transparency and anti-corruption um, are going to make it a lot easier for people to operate in a more standard business or life environment, which is the greatest part about this tech. Well, that's it for this episode of the Super Awesome Science Show. I hope it's been a safe and transparent look into this new technological world. And if so, make sure to distribute your knowledge to family and friends so we can create a podcast chain and make everybody rich with science. If you have any questions or want to make a comment, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at JATetro. For ideas longer than 280 characters, you can always email me at thegermguy at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us to get more people to find the podcast. Thanks again. Have a great week. And as always, make sure to show them some sass. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.